and we're reading Ruth chapter 3. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you'll be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you are there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized, and he said, No one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. Bring, the, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. This is God's word. Let me add my welcome. If we've not met, my name's uh, Matt Fuller. Uh, I'm the vicar here. And if you're joining us just tonight, you're you're most welcome. And um, we're halfway uh, through looking at this story of Ruth in the book of Ruth. Really, uh, the dominant theme being the kindness of God. How does the Lord love his people like Boaz loves Ruth? And there are other themes, and we're looking at them as we go through. But the dominant idea, it's a lovely one to look at, that God is kind. What do you expect to find when you turn to the Lord? He is kind. And uh, we turn to Ruth uh, chapter 3, and let me lead us in prayer as we look at this together. Our great God and Father, we thank you and praise you that as we've sung and declared this evening, that is true, that when we turn our eyes and look to you, we find a God who is kind. And Father, in your kindness, you speak You address us. You address us with truths that we need to hear. You address us with words which affect us. Father, please be at work again this evening, we ask, as we turn to your word. Would your spirit be at work 
so that we know, not just in our heads, but with all that we are, that you're a God who is kind and will we trust you. Amen. Well, I think the question over Ruth chapter 3 in particular then is what does, what does faith look like? Faith is obviously uh, central to the Christian life. Trust, reliance, dependence, all, all synonyms, I guess. But uh, the key to it really is, is to know who your faith is in. Because obviously you can have misplaced faith, a uh, child about six, um, fairly recently came up to me and said, Matt, my daddy is so strong, he can lift a house above his head. (laughs) Just to clarify, do you mean a toy house or a real house? A real house. Wow, your daddy's strong. Now, there's something very sweet and endearing and trusting about that. But I would suggest misplaced. Um, his dad is a sizable character, but I, you know, even a bar at home, even a sort of starter home, whatever you, no one lifts a house above their heads. So it's sincere, it's genuine, but it is misplaced faith. By contrast, you could have the child dragging, being, sorry, being dragged, screaming, to the dentist by mummy. I don't want to go to the dentist. I don't want to go to the dentist. Why are you making me go to the dentist? I hate the dentist. Trust mummy. <laughs> but he goes. It's a sort of feeble faith in his mum's concern for him, but he just about manages to go dragged. Now that is a true faith. Or let me put no, that's a feeble faith, but in a true person, a true source. You don't have misplaced faith, no matter how sincere it is. But even feeble faith in the right person, well, that's a good thing. Very wonderfully, the, the Christian life is more like the latter. Well, what sort of faith do you need to be a Christian? You just need faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I've got to be honest with you. If your faith is strong, life generally is a more pleasant experience than if your faith is feeble and you have to go through the whole of your life kicking and screaming and getting upset the whole time. It's better to have a strong faith in Christ, than a, but it's all about him. So even a weak faith in him, that's fine. Christians don't require great faith in the Saviour. They just require faith in the great saviour. Those two things are very different. And they're a relief to many of us because at times our faith is strong, we think. At times our faith is just about clinging on. But as long as it's faith in him, he'll hold us. He is the source. He's the object of our faith. We're fine as long as it's faith in him. And Ruth 3 will tell us that even slightly eccentric faith will do as long as you trust him. And I think that's what we've got in Ruth chapter 3. Two women place their faith in Boaz, who in the context of this story is their redeemer. 
It's a slightly eccentric way of demonstrating faith. But Boaz responds with grace. And that's a bit like Jesus. He'll take flawed faith as long as it's in him. So let me clarify, just as we begin, I don't know what you make of Ruth chapter 3. It's a strange story as it's read to us. But let me clarify one thing as we begin. This is not dating advice, okay? That's just not, that's simply not what it is. So maybe um, 20 odd years ago, uh, I heard the worst sermon by a Bible teacher, an evangelical minister, I think I can remember. He's a friend. And he now would completely, he would completely disavow this sermon and say, I cannot believe what I was thinking about. It was on Ruth 3. He titled it, The Seven Habits of a Highly Effective Husband Hunter. <laughs> now, there was a sort of book at the time, Seven Habits of a Highly Effective um, and you could sort of imagine habit one, have a wash. Habit two, put on some perfume. Habit three, put on a dress, etc., etc., etc. Can I just say that is wrong on every level? <laughs> and I think uh, the sort of stony-faced room told him a few minutes into the sermon, "This is uh, this is not. Uh, I've missed something here. It's not that. Okay, that's simply it's not about that. It's sort of easy to romanticise." The, 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 Ruth, the Ruth narrative, I think Boaz, you know, he's the silver fox, sort of George Clooney, and there's a younger woman, and chapter two last time, yes, he was feeding her the roasted grain, wasn't he? Um, no, no, stop that, okay? I just want to get all that, this is, okay, not that. It's really not about that. It, it's almost unromantic at parts, but actually even all the more lovely because of that, because there's a commitment of love here. What we see then is Naomi and Ruth asking Boaz for redemption. They do so in a very strange fashion, but he accepts because he's a very gracious redeemer. For you and for me, what sort of faith will Jesus accept? Faith that trusts him, even if at times it's stumbling, half-hearted, eccentric, he would accept it because he's gracious. It's not the best, but because our faith is in him, and he is a wonderful and gracious and merciful saviour, faith in him is what you need for salvation, for redemption. He'll take flawed faith as long as it's in him. Now, look, let me just take two minutes to do a little bit of sort of more detailed work upon these two chapters two and three, because I want to persuade you of this, okay? I don't want you just to hear tonight saying, well, here, there is, those are true truths um, from the Bible, and uh, they're nice truths, but whether they were in Ruth three, I, who knows? Okay, let me try and persuade you. Um, chapters two and three, can we have them up on the screen? Chapters two and three, the author deliberately parallels them. We've got that little, um, no, before that? Um, there we go. Chapter two and chapter three, they're almost identical in structure. So they both start in the home, Ruth and Naomi at home. They're concocting a plan. Chapter two, we need some food. Chapter three, we need a bit more than food. Okay, that's how they start. They conclude Ruth and Naomi at home, Ruth telling Naomi what's happened. In the middle, there's an encounter between Ruth and Boaz. Uh, chapter 2, it's in the fields. Chapter 3, uh, passage tonight, it's on the threshing room floor. So did you see, 
the home, the encounter outside the home between Ruth and Boaz, then they were back to the home for a report of what's happened. They're basically identical. It's like a, you know, like a sitcom. They can't think of anything new in one sense. The author's very deliberately done it this way. The contrast primarily between the two, well, and the next thing, the next little slide, just you, um, how they're described, chapter 2, verse 20, may Boaz be blessed by the Lord. He is a worthy man. Chapter 3, verse 10, may Ruth be blessed by the Lord. She is a worthy woman. Same word. Identical phrasing. Although it gets translated noble, but worthy noble. It's the same word, okay? The two are parallel. The difference is in chapter 2, Boaz does everything. He is the primary, he's the driver of all the action in chapter 2. And Ruth passively receives all that's good from him. Chapter 3, she drives. She puts a pretty pushy request to him, will you marry me? And then he actively responds. But whereas last time we're thinking chapter 2, here is Boaz, look at him. Chapter 3, the emphasis is upon how Ruth puts her faith in him, okay? Do you see how the, 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 it's been structured? So we're trying to think, with the, the writer is saying, do you see chapter 2, Boaz, chapter 3, what does Ruth do in response to Boaz? So the primary emphasis of chapter 3 is a demonstration of faith. It's a bit eccentric, but that's what it is, Okay. And we'll go through it in that way. Just to remind you, or uh, bring you up to speed if you've not been here, where are we? Uh, this story of Ruth then, um, chapter one, Naomi, older woman, she and her, her husband, Elimelech, had foolishly left God's promised land, so walked away from God and his blessing and gone to a pagan land. It had been disastrous. They'd turned their backs upon the Lord. It had gone disastrously for them. Uh, Naomi had lost her wife, uh, excuse me, Naomi had lost her husband, Elimelech, and their two sons, disaster, miserable. So returns eventually to the promised land, returns to the Lord. She's got Ruth, her wonderful daughter-in-law. But that's chapter one. Chapter two, two asylum seekers functionally, two desperate women, penniless, friendless. Um, uh, they're, they're deeply vulnerable. So Ruth goes out to work, goes to glean in uh, the fields, amazing by the providence of God. She happens to stumble into the field of Boaz. He's remarkably kind to her. Boaz is a distant relative. The merit of that, we start to see a bit more of that tonight. Ruth and Naomi, they owned land, or Naomi owned land in the promised land. But without a husband or a son, wasn't able to do anything with it. Couldn't farm it. And without a male heir, would lose it. So owns this land, but it's no good to her. Like owning a, 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 you know, a building that you can't do anything to, you can't move anyone in, or something like that. So she's stuck, but Elimelech is a relative. He has the right to marry into the family. He could use the land and crucially produce an heir who would inherit the land. That's the sort of plot where we've got to uh, thus far. So they've met this man, Boaz, who could be the answer to all their problems. And uh, chapter 2, verse 23 ended on a bit of a cliffhanger. They've met him, but not a lot happens. So there's just Ruth and um, Naomi in their house, and that's where we've got to. What we're looking at in chapter 3, then, is faith in the Redeemer, a flawed faith, 
but in a kind redeemer. So we'll look at it like this. Naomi's bizarre faith, Ruth's bold faith. Her redeemer accepts Ruth's faith. That is Boaz. And then Boaz finally accepts Naomi's faith. It'll make sense as we go through. First, in verses one to six, let's look at Naomi's bizarre faith. Chapter three, verse one. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you or rest for you where you will be well provided for. Now, that's a good intention. I want you to be looked after. That's good. Now, we're no longer starving as we were at the beginning of chapter two. So that's, but, you know, I'd, I'd like you to be well settled. Great. Nice, good intention. Now, verse two, Boaz, with whose woman you've worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. I tell you what, wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes, get down to the dressing floor. Don't let Tim know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He'll tell you what to do. Can I just be clear? That is not great advice. It's well-intentioned, but it's really not very good advice. I mean, what would you do if someone gave you that advice? Tell you what, there's an eligible bloke. So, uh, you know, scrub up, put on your perfume, put on your best dress. Where he is at night, go, you know, pull the duvet off his feet. He'll get chilly in the night and wake up and then go, whoo-hoo. Um, <laughs> can I encourage you, never do that? I mean, even if you're married, don't do that. No one likes the duvet pulled off their feet in the night, okay? Just never do that. This is not good advice. Now, people do disagree over what's going on here. I guess the most favorable interpretation is something like this. Naomi says, is saying to Ruth, how about you dress up like a bride? Now, you have to extrapolate, but why not... Um, Look, the reason Boaz hasn't shown a bit more interest in you is um, you're still in your mourning clothes, as in you know, your black uh, mourning your dead husband. And uh, so get those off, put on something a bit more summery, um, and Boaz will know that you're no longer in mourning because he's a good guy and respecting your period of mourning. And then who knows uh, what might happen. This, there might be a little something to that. I mean, I put a little reference in there. In 2 Samuel chapter 20, David, after mourns the de- mourning the death of his son, he washes, puts on perfume, changes his clothes. It's the same uh, verbal structure. It, there might be something to that. But even so, why do it at night? You, you could take off, if that's what it is, these, your, your princess, excuse me, your Queen Victoria black clothes. You could take them off and put on something new in the day. You don't have to pursue this strategy at night. I mean, you get the impression from verse 14 later on when Boaz says, look, no one must know that a woman's come to the threshing room floor. This is dodgy. I mean, all the commentaries will tell you it's, it's you know, threshing, you know, when you, you throw the, you've harvested, you throw the grain in the air, the chaff blows off in the wind and you're left with the hard kernels. Um, it's sort of exhausting work. And at the, it, prostitutes would go to the threshing room floor to make some money because there's a bit of money around at this time. It's, a, it's, it's dodgy. You just get it from verse 4, that the, um, uh, when he lies down, note the place where he's lying, lie down next to his feet. Again, in, in, in Hebrew, to lie with a man means to have sex with him. There's this sort of ambiguity in the language here. 
It's not sensible. I mean, Naomi concludes, verse 4, go uncover his feet, lie down, he'll tell you what to do. Yeah, but Naomi, as far as us, the readers know, you've not met this man. You're telling your daughter-in-law, go at night when he's had a few drinks. That's not good advice. It's not kind. He'll tell you what to do. What if he says, yeah, I'll take you now? What if that? This is not wisdom. It's not kind. I assume, well, for most of us, just at a first superficial reading, you think, ooh, ooh, what? And that's right. I think we're meant to read it and go, ooh. Oh, it was going quite well, this sort of potential uh, relationship and the, the redeemer could, oh, this could be a car crash right here. I think that's right. We're meant to read that. This is not wise advice. It's not kind to put a woman in the situation that Ruth is put into here. But it's well-intentioned. Yeah, yeah. Of course, as the story flows, it works. It works. I mean, Boaz wakes up, and we'll get there in a moment, and says, oh, okay, well, let's sort this out. Um, but just because it works, that never justifies foolish, reckless, dangerous behavior. So please don't justify what is at best an ethically questionable scheme by saying, yeah, but in the end, it all turned out all right, didn't it? So it's fine. Don't do that. We're tempted to do that. Someone will say, yeah, when I was young, I slept around a bit. Uh, broke a few hearts, probably. But I'm um, settled down now. I'm, I'm married. It's all fine. And, and um, it's all worked out fine. Yeah, for you, and, and God may be kind. He often is. But obeying him is always the right thing to do. I think on one occasion, after a car crash, a woman said to me, yeah, I persuaded him to sleep with me so that I might get pregnant because I thought he'd then marry me. And then I thought we'd be fine. No, don't do that. God may be very kind to you. He may turn your ridiculously contorted path into a straight one. He might. But don't be foolish. So here, I'd say it's, um, it's a very strange, bizarre faith that Naomi has in Boaz. Obedience to God is always the right thing to do. It's always the best thing for you. He may well be gracious, but it could be a car crash, okay? There's no promises that your foolishness doesn't end in a disaster. you just got to bear that in mind. That's Naomi's bizarre faith. Ruth, Ruth a bit more positive. Ruth's bold faith, this, verses 6 to 9. Let's look at Ruth's 
uh, bold faith in verses 6 to 9. It's far easier to be sympathetic to Ruth. She's met Boaz. She knows his character. She knows what he's like. She has much greater evidence. Here is a man I think I can entrust myself to. So there's, there's I think, much easier to be sympathetic to Ruth. So we're told... Um, uh, verse 5, Ruth has said, I'll do whatever you say. Um, it may not be the best. But uh, verse 6, she went down to the threshing room floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly and covered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, or something shivered the man. You could translate it. I think he probably just gets cold feet because they're uncovered. He turns... And there's a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. Or probably, let's be honest, who, what, who are you? Um, you know, he probably wakes up a little bleary-eyed. Uh, and what? What's, all, what? what's going on here? And she says, verse 9, I'm your servant Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Hmm. Now you need to know, culturally, to spread the corner of your garment over a woman for a man to do that, that is a proposal of marriage. That is getting down on one knee with a ring. Uh, Ezekiel 16, the Lord says, I spread the corner of my garment over Israel. I married Israel. So that is what she's asking to do. Ruth is saying, Boaz, will you marry me? Why doesn't she say, Boaz, will you marry me? Rather than, will you spread the corner of your garment over, over me? Um, why the, well, there's a very obvious reason for that. Chapter 3 and verse 9, spread the corner of your garment over me. It's exactly the same word, corner of garment, as chapter 2 and verse 12, wings. Back in chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz said to Ruth, you're a good woman, Ruth. And verse 12 of chapter 2, may the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings or under whose garment corners you've come to take refuge. And here, in chapter 3, verse 9, Ruth says, spread your wings over me, Boaz. She's saying to him, you know how you prayed for me, that you hope God would bless me and be kind to me? You can answer that prayer. Boaz, you are the answer to that prayer. You can be the kindness of God to me and my mother-in-law. Can you do what you've prayed? Now, it is a very, very bold prayer or a, a bold request. Uh, you've got to bear in mind, uh, Ruth is a, a, a culturally, whatever you make of it, think today, Ruth culture is a woman proposing to a man. That just didn't happen in the culture. She's a field worker proposing to the field owner. That wouldn't happen. She's a foreigner from Moab proposing to an Israelite. That wouldn't happen. She's a youngster proposing to an older man. That wouldn't happen. It's all wrong. It's very bold. I mean, it's, 
It's pretty cheeky. It's somewhat impudent. But she's saying to Boaz, you know what she prayed? You're a good man, Boaz. You're a godly man. And what you prayed, you can do it. You can do it. And I'm trusting in your words, Boaz. You can do that. And he does. So you see, the point is for you and for me, we can come to Jesus Christ, the great Redeemer, and say, Jesus, you've promised to save me. And I'm going to ask you to do that. Jesus, you've promised to forgive me. And I'm asking you again to do that. Jesus, you've promised to keep me until the end. I'm asking you to do that. And I, I can even ask you confidently, cheekily, boldly. I can ask you boldly because you've said you will. You've said you'll do this, Jesus. And I'm taking your words very seriously. That's what Ruth gets so right. She takes the words of the Redeemer seriously. You and I can do that as we come to Christ. Ruth is bold because she knows Boaz and his prayers. Christians are to be bold because we know Christ and the promises he makes to us. So Ruth has a bold faith. Naomi's bizarre faith, Ruth's bold faith. Uh, then Boaz, Boaz accepts Ruth's faith, or I've put on the sheet, her redeemer accepts Ruth's faith because that's what keeps getting emphasized. How does he respond? Verse 10. Boaz, the Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. Kindness. Ruth has made herself absolutely vulnerable to Boaz. She's a young, foreign woman who at night has dressed up and gone to the threshing room floor. Everyone who saw it would just think, well, she's an immoral woman. She's made herself deeply vulnerable. Boaz could have taken her, and no one would have thought anything else. No one would have thought any, any no one would have been surprised uh, in the culture of the time. Boaz could have done that. She's deeply vulnerable. Or, you know, he's an upstanding man, we've been told already. He could have been a bit self righteous about it and said, What are you doing? You're going to ruin my reputation. Get out of here. But he responds to her bold, eccentric way of approaching him and says, well, bless you. You get a blessing, a promise, and a plan. Verse 10, the Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. Okay, what, what kindness? I mean, uncovering his feet? Um, of, what is the kindness? He says, it's, it's greater than the one you showed earlier. Now, if you read through, what kindness has Ruth shown Boaz earlier? None. He's not shown her any kindness. She's not shown him any kindness earlier. He must be talking about chapter 2, verse 11, where he says, Ruth, I've been told about all you've done for your mother-in-law. Since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with the people who didn't know before. So here he's saying, Ruth, this kindness to Naomi is even greater than the other kindness to Naomi. Okay? 
It's not kindness to him. He's not saying, oh, you're asking me, an old man, for marriage? That's not the plot, okay? That's not, oh, you're so kind to ask me. It's not that. We'll see next week in chapter four, it's very costly for him to, uh, to marry her. Um, he, he's saying, golly, you're, this is a kindness to Ruth. Excuse me, Ruth, this is a kindness to Naomi. Because, Ruth, you could have, verse 11, excuse me, so verse 10, you could have married anyone. I mean, you're an attractive woman. You could have gone after any young man. You could have married for money. You could have married a poor man for love. But you're marrying me, or you want to marry me, because then your mother-in-law is looked after. Then your mother-in-law gets her land as an inheritance. Your mother-in-law might get a, a, a descendant as well. You're asking me for marriage because that means I'll take care of Naomi. You could have married for love or money and you're marrying me for your mother-in-law's sake. And she's a bit nuts because look at the scheme she's concocted. (laughs) You're a kind woman. So there's a blessing, bless you. Bless you. I mean, it's not very romantic that. All right, so you want to marry me for the sake of your mother-in-law. Okay, it's not the great romance, this. It's very kind. So there's a blessing, there's a promise, verse 11. Uh, now, my daughter, again, hinting at the age gap between them. Now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I'll do for you all you ask. Those are great words, aren't they? Do not fear. I'll do all you ask. All the people of my town know that you're a woman of noble character, noble, worthy. Boaz, chapter 2, verse 1, is a worthy man. Ruth, chapter 3, verse um, 11, is a worthy, noble woman. Same as Proverbs 31, the, uh, the wife of noble character. And then the, um, the plan, verse 12. Now, look, although it's true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, I could marry into the family, I could buy the land, and then you'd be able to use it. There is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. If not, if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I'll do it. Stay or lie here until morning. Bit of nervous tension introduced. There is another, but you see, redeemer. Redeemer, you'll be redeemed. What you want is this, the emphasis here. You, you're going to get this redemption that you've asked for. One way or another, Ruth, I will see that it's done. You'll be safe. So her redeemer accepts Ruth's faith. And then lastly, very briefly, Boaz accepts Naomi's faith. In verses 15 to 17. Even eccentric Naomi. It's very lovely. Verse 15, Boaz also said, Bring out the shawl you're wearing, hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? She told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Huh. I mean, Boaz is saying to Naomi, Look, this is a pretty dodgy scheme. I you know, had to make sure that no one saw what was going on. I mean, it, Naomi, woo However, however, 
I know that when you returned to Bethlehem, chapter 1, verse 20, you said, call me Mara, call me bitter, because I've returned to this country empty-handed. Naomi, I don't want you to be empty-handed, is the point here, here at the end of chapter 3. Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. It's the same as chapter 1, verse 20. Naomi, I want you to receive some kindness from me uh, to see you know that the Lord is kind to you. Know his kindness through me is what's going on. Chapter ends with waiting. Verse 18, as every chapter in Ruth does, a bit of a, bit of a cliffhanger. Uh, verse 18, Naomi said, wait, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled. Look, what do you and I meant to take away from Ruth chapter 3? I think it's this, Boaz. Boaz is a good redeemer. And he points us forward, of course, to Jesus Christ, who is the great redeemer, the, the only source of redemption out of slavery to sin, to death, for life and eternity with God in heaven. He is the great redeemer. And so we are meant to look at Boaz and see our faith in Boaz. It's a little bit like faith in Jesus. So the risk of saying some obvious things, what are we meant to do? One, two, three, four. One, come to him. Look, I, I, I hope you see Naomi's faith is eccentric. Ruth's is pretty cocky or certainly confident or bold. But the most important thing they get right is this. They trust Boaz. They come to him. That's what they get really, really right. Come to him. And so we take nothing else from Ruth chapter 3. We come to him. Like Ruth, boldly. As Hebrews 4 would put it, verse 16. Let us then approach the throne of God's grace with confidence so that we may find mercy and grace in our time of need. It's a wonderful verse. How do you approach God? Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence, with boldness. Come boldly to the throne of God because of Jesus, because of what he's done. Come to him. Uh, secondly, I guess alongside it, trust him. Ruth made herself enormously vulnerable before Boaz, but she's come to know the sort of man that he is. And the more you entrust yourself to Christ, the, the more you walk with him, it's just easier to trust him. Trust him. Keep trusting him. Ruth trusts his promises. You and I trust the promises that Christ makes to us. Uh, thirdly, enjoy his kindness. Lovely words he, he utters. Don't be afraid, Ruth. Don't be empty-handed, Naomi. Know that Christ is a kind redeemer. And then perhaps the last, fourthly, wait for him. Things look good at the end of chapter 3, but there's still one thing they've got to do, and that's wait. 
wait for him. Will Boaz come through? Yes, he will. But they've got to wait. And for you and for me, or perhaps the Christian life most often feels like chapter 3 and verse 18, we're waiting for the return of the Redeemer. That's our experience. So again, you get to the end of chapter 3. It's flawed faith in a kind Redeemer. But the question over Ruth is, how does God love his people? He loves them like Boaz loves Ruth and Naomi with kindness because they come to him. Let me pray. Our great God and Father, you give us simple sentences which tell us what to do, such as let us approach the throne of God's grace with confidence. That's a simple sentence which tells us what to do. You give us strange, quirky, vivid stories, such as Ruth chapter 3, that we have to grapple with and wrestle with. But see, the thing these women get right is they come. Ruth comes with boldness to her Redeemer. Father, would we be those who know we can do that? That no matter what we've done, no matter where we're at emotionally, we can return. We can come before the throne of God's grace through Jesus Christ because of his work upon the cross. Would we approach you knowing that we find kindness? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.